November 20th, 2015. My name is Joel Tillis, and you are tuned in to The Soul Trap. Thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in and listen to the broadcast. We trust that the broadcast finds you in good health and on that good and narrow way, wherever and whenever you're listening. I want to talk to you today about the idea of problem, reaction, solution. Problem, reaction, solution. It's not my idea. It's not my philosophy. It's not my concept. It comes from a fellow by the name of David Icke. And to be truthfully and for the sake of full disclosure, you could argue that um, David Icke is absolutely crazy. I don't think he is. I think he's off in some ways, but I don't think the man is crazy. However, he does have some odd things that, first, as a Bible believer, and second of all, just as a normal human being, I would uh, tend to call into question. But when it comes to his concept, his matrix of problem, reaction, solution, I think he's right on. I want to talk to you for just a few moments about that. And my question to you is, is that what we're seeing taking place? When it comes to ISIS, when it comes to the Syrian refugees, problem, reaction, solution. Now let me pivot just a minute away from David Icke and let me reference a man by the name of John W. Whitehead. He has a book called Battlefield America and he asks a very interesting question. He says in chapter number 12, how do you persuade a nation of relatively freedom-loving individuals to march in lockstep with a police state? You start by convincing them they're in danger, and only the government can protect them. Earlier in the book, he has a quote that is stunning. I read it just the other night. And I was by myself sitting down on the couch just reading. I had a hot cup of tea. My family was in bed asleep. And when I read it, I put the book down and just sat there for a long time. Let me read the quote to you first, and then I'll tell you who who it was. The quote is, It is always a simple matter to drag people along, whether it is a democracy or a fascist dictatorship or a parliament or a communist dictatorship. Voice or no voice. The people can always be brought to the bidding of the leaders. This is easy. All you have to do is tell them they are being attacked and denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to danger. It works the same in every country. Now you ought to let that statement that I just read sink in because that was not from a Republican, that was not from a Democrat. That was not from a conservative. It wasn't from a liberal. That was from Field Marshal Hermann Goring, a Nazi general in World War II. How do you drag the people along? How do you get them to follow the bidding of the leadership? Goring says, all you have to do is tell them they are being attacked. My question for you is, Are we seeing ISIS, whether directly or indirectly, being used as a tool to drag us along further into the totalitarian state that this nation is marching towards every single day? 
if you could detach yourself just a little bit and project yourself back into 1999 or 2000 or early 2001, you would be stunned and amazed at what has taken place in our nation just in the short time. The powers of the government, the powers of the alphabet agencies, the powers that be have unprecedented, unprecedented control and intrusion and domination of our lives. And how so? Because of the fear of terror. Three buildings were brought down in exactly the same manner at free fall speed, one of which was not even hit by a plane. One was brought, uh, one plane was supposedly flown into the Pentagon. Of course, it took them a year and a half to release the picture of the plane. No engine parts were ever found. On and on and on the list could go. But 9-11 fundamentally changed the shape and the face of the civil liberties of the, the average citizen of the United States of America. The Patriot Act, several other acts, Guantanamo Bay, the list can go on and on and on. And we fundamentally are a different nation than we were before 2001. You say, yes, but we're safer. Debatable. But even if I grant that to you, is safety worth the lack of freedom? And I'm going to say something here that may sound a little bit, oh, over the top, but it's not. It's absolutely true. Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Mujahideen, Hamas, Hezbollah, they may kill in dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands. But ladies and gentlemen, totalitarian governments kill in the millions. If you don't ask that, if you don't believe that, ask the Khmer Rouge. If you don't believe that, ask North Vietnamese and South Vietnamese. If you don't believe that, ask the North Koreans. If you don't believe that, ask Stalinist and Leninist Russia. If you don't believe that, ask Nazi Germany. And I believe that it would be foolhardy to think or to assume with the hubris and ignorance of not looking at history to assume somehow that the United States of America is on some sort of a moral high ground that that could never, ever, ever happen in our nation. I believe we are literally between a rock and a hard place. On one hand, I do believe there is a legitimate Islamic threat. I believe it is an existential threat. I do not believe it is as much a threat if we were to take certain steps, commonsensical, violently aggressive uh, steps, I believe would end it. But the reality of the matter is, Islam, as I said in the last podcast, is not a religion of peace. It is a religion of war and domination, hatred, bloodletting, sexual abuse, ritualistic sexual abuse, uh, it's one of the most awful cultic religions that anybody could ever imagine. But be that as it may, though I believe on one hand we have an existential threat from the, from the onslaught of the Islamic ideology, I also believe we're facing an existential threat on the other side. And that is a totalitarian government. That is a government that is in control, not of the Nancy Pelosi's and not of the Barack Obama's, but whatever you think about what I'm about to say, the New World Order. I know that that phrase has been 
bantied about. I think maybe it needs to be changed. Not a new world order, a world order. A global control grid being set. A global ideology. And the truth of the matter is, I often quote it, but I think it's one of the most profound books written in the 20th century. And if you really want to know the inner workings of the world, you need to read Carol Quigley's uh, Tragedy and Hope. If not, then at least read some of the smaller commentaries on it. But the truth of the matter is that there are power brokers behind that you and I do not see. I mean, we might look at someone like George Soros or maybe the Rothschilds or some of these more visible people. But the reality of the matter is there are power brokers behind the scenes that we simply do not see. And Carol Quigley says they prefer to have the reality of power rather than the perception of power. Barack Obama is just a puppet. He has the perception of power. But the real power lies deeper. And there are movers and shakers, planners, I believe global banking cartels. I believe there is, and I am a true supporter of the nation of Israel, but I believe there is a Zionist cartel to some degree. How much, I don't know. I believe there is an occultic cartel. There is a Catholic. There is an inner working. There is a connectivity behind the scenes that is moving this world closer and closer to the one world that Satan has always designed and desired to have and what has stood in the way for the last 200 years. In fact, there's always been something standing in the way by the plan of God. The leash that the powers of darkness have been on has, has always been shortened in one way or another, but the leash for the last 200 or so years has been the United States of America. But I believe that leash, uh, that tie, that mooring that has kept us from setting adrift on the ocean of despair and catastrophe has been cut loose. And what I believe is happening, what I believe the danger that we're facing, is that we're seeing both sides played against one another. Is there a legitimate Islamic threat? Yes. Is there a legitimate governmental, tyrannical threat here at home? Yes. If you haven't read the book by John W. Whitehead, you need to get the book immediately. The book is called The Battlefield America, The War on the American People. If you know the man at all, Judge Andrew Napolitano, a good judge, a true libertarian, said, I challenge anyone to read this book and then try to go to sleep. I found that impossible. So the point of the podcast today is that I believe what we're seeing, whether ISIS has been directly created or indirectly used, I believe it is being used to accomplish the problem-reaction-solution matrix that the powers that be like to use. Now, as I said at the beginning, David Icke has his baggage. But sometimes people that are crazy in one area are right on target on another. I want to read an article to you. It's not a long one at all, but it's an article explaining what problem-reaction-solution is by David Icke. What happens in terms of creating wars in a mind manipulation technique called problem-reaction-solution? And it works like this, Ike says. Let's say you want to centralize power into fewer and fewer hands through the UN or NATO or some other governing body. If you did that openly and said, this is what we want to do, well, there'd be a reaction against that. 
people would say, hey, this, this is a fascist state you want to create. We're not having any of this. But through this technique of problem-reaction-solution, you can actually manipulate people to demand you do what you want to do anyway. You can actually manipulate people to demand that you do what you want them to do anyway. So it works like this. First of all, Ike says you create the problem. But you get someone else to be blamed for it. Then report that problem through the media, report that problem through the media in the way you want it reported because the media is owned by the same people who own the banks, etc., etc., etc. You get the public to react to your problem by saying, quote, something must be done, this can't go on. What are they going to do about it? And at that point, they, who have covertly created the problem and blamed someone else, who gleaned that reaction of do something, then offer the solution to the problems they have created. So if you take the world wars, for example, after the First World War, which the financial centers of London and Wall Street, etc., funded on all sides, power on this planet was in fewer hands than ever before via the League of Nations. After the Second World War, it was in even fewer hands on the wheels of power. And as a result of the Second World War, we had the creation of the United Nations and NATO, and we have this great centralization of global power also in the banking arena. This problem-reaction-solution technique is not just used to create and control wars. It can also be applied to any situation where you want to produce a particular outcome. For example, this technique is currently being used to centralize power in the financial world. It can also be used to introduce new laws that restrict our civil liberties. So wherever you see some big news story, whether it be an alleged terrorist attack, a run on currency, the accidental loss of people's data, or an allegation that some poor country has developed nuclear weapons, the first question you need to ask yourself is this. Who benefits from me believing this information? Now, if you'll take the time to maybe play back the last two or three minutes of just reading that, I think that is a profound statement, a profound, articulate, accurate assessment of where we may be right now. And that's what I am concerned about. Am I concerned about the existential threat of Islam? Yes. Am I concerned about the existential threat of Islam being used to foster and to propagate the existential threat of a totalitarian government here on our own home soil? Yes, yes, and yes. Whether or not the powers that be are directly or indirectly causing these events that we see taking place, the reality is there is no doubt that they are using them to further their global, borderless, total control agenda. And that agenda, at root, fundamentally, is slavery of the masses and the ruling of an elite with a demonic, satanic head. I think many Christians are going to be ill-prepared for the next five to ten years if Christ tarries his return because we have been told so long that we are not going to go through, quote-unquote, the tribulation period, and I firmly agree with that. I am 
a Bible believer, and I believe the Bible is to be rightly divided, and I believe that church and Israel are not the same, and I'm a dispensationalist. I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back for his body, the church, the bride of Christ, but that nowhere, nowhere in any of the Apostle Paul's writings can you put your finger on a place where he says, oh, but you American Christians, you guys are okay. Now, the early church, the medieval church, the Armenian church, uh, the African church, uh, the Southeast Asia, the Pacific Rim, South America, all those other places, they had to undergo some tremendous tribulation and trial, but you guys don't. That just doesn't make sense to me, and it doesn't square with Scripture. We are headed for trouble. We are headed for trouble. And civil rights, personal, individual rights, they are God-given. And we need to remind ourselves who we are and what we believe. And never, ever, 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 ever can we trade the perception of safety for the reality of freedom. Because slaves are not safe. Servants are not safe. And we cannot trade the perception of safety while being made to lick the boot of a totalitarian government that rules us from the cradle to the grave. What we smoke, what we can drink what we can watch, where we can go, how big a friggin' big gulp you can drink. I mean, how does this become us? We are allowing our government, by not being watchdogs and not demanding and not being willing to pay the price, we are allowing the centralized government to take from us. And I want to remind you something. Centralized big government is not the plan of God. In fact, I can tell you that it is warned against by God clearly, unmistakably. Go read 1 Samuel chapter number 8. The children of Israel at the time, up until that time, while they were led out of, out of Egypt by Moses and then across the Red Sea by Joshua, but it appears that the plan of God was for the tribes, all 12 of them, to live locally governed, loosely confederated together. Very similar to what our nation was founded upon in its principles. Local government, local control, community involvement. And only on major big occasional issues was there to be a confederacy and a unification of power under one head. At times there were multiple judges in multiple areas. But the children of Israel wanted to be like the other people around them. Just exactly like it seems like we want to be like Europe for some reason. And can I say something? Just because somebody has a European accent or a British accent doesn't mean they're smart. We want to be like the rest of the world. Children of Israel want to be like the rest of the world. And God warned them. Read First, first Samuel chapter 8. He says, when you get a king, this is what's going to happen. And read down in there. I'm not sure exactly what verse number it is. But he says, when the king comes, he's going to take. 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 He's going to take from you. And that's exactly what happened. And that is exactly what has happened to us. As we have centralized power, the government takes from us. It takes our children from us. It takes our parental rights from us. It takes our property from us. It takes our gun ownership from us. It takes our, our rights over our own bodies over us. It takes, it takes, it takes, it takes, it takes, it never gives us back. Just listen to the way they talk about taxes. Just listen to the way they talk about the deficit. Just listen to the way they talk about the money. They speak as if it's the government. Government makes no money. 
government doesn't have money. The only government, the only money that the government has is our money. The only government money, the money the government can spend is our money. They take from us and bleed from us and leech from us. And then when they think we've gotten all that we can get from us, they squeeze a little bit more or start a war somewhere to jumpstart the economy. We better be very, very careful what's going on right now. We're in a very, very precarious situation. On one hand, we have an existential threat of Islam, yes. But on the other hand, I fear that there are maniacal people that will use this as a tool of fear and danger to get us to allow the powers that be to swoop in and take even more control of what limited freedom we still have in this country. I mentioned it just the other day, but I finished reading the book, The Turner Diaries. The Turner Diaries. And while there's much to disagree with this book about and much that is absolutely downright repugnant, I think it's important that we be versed in all aspects, those that we agree with and those that we don't agree with. But there was a profound statement. There was a profound statement made in here, and the character in this story said, Tyranny, we have discovered, just isn't all that unpopular among the American people. What is really precious to the average American is not his freedom or his honor or, his, or the future of his race, but his paycheck. Tyranny, we have discovered, just isn't all that unpopular among the American people. The quote goes on to say, We can wish it weren't so, but it is. The plain, horrible truth is that we have been trying to evoke a heroic spirit of idealism which just isn't there anymore. He hasn't had an idea in his head that wasn't put there by his TV set. He desperately wants to be well-adjusted and to do and think and say exactly what he thinks is expected of him. He has become, in short, just what the system has been trying to make of him these past 50 years. A mass man, a member of the great brainwashed proletariat, a herd animal. Now, what brings all this up? Well, the New York Times reported, and other agencies did, Donald Trump earlier this week said he was open to requiring Muslims in the United States to register in a database. He said on Thursday night that he would certainly implement that. Absolutely. Mr. Trump was asked about the issue by an NBC News reporter and pressed on whether all Muslims in the country would be forced to register. They have to, he said. They have to. When asked how a system of registering Muslims will be carried out, whether, for instance, mosques would be where people could register, Mr. Trump said different places. You sign up at different places, but it's all about management. Our country has no management. Now, in a news report today, Washington, Donald Trump says he didn't suggest creating a database to track Muslims in America, but instead was answering a question from a reporter about the idea. In a tweet sent Friday, the Republican presidential frontrunner adds that, quote, we must defeat Islamic terrorism and have surveillance, including a watch list, to protect America. On Thursday, Trump was asked by a reporter from NBC News if there should be a system to track Muslims. There should be a lot of systems beyond databases, Trump said. Trump said Muslims would be signed up at different places. Asked whether registering would be mandatory, Trump responded, they have to be. 
Now, when you watch the video and you hear what's going on today, it appears that Donald Trump is doing his best to walk the story back. It also appears that NBC, maggot and leeches and foul, filthy, sow underbellies that they are, probably manipulated the story a little bit. But what I want you to see is the undercurrent. I want you to see the reality of what's going on behind. And what I think is that these are not innocent mistakes. Now, maybe this is the conspiratorial part of me. Maybe this is the, uh, you're a little too nervous. I think what we're seeing are trial balloons, ladies and gentlemen. That's what I think. I think they're trial balloons. How much will you take? How much will you expect? What will you accept? I mean, they, you let what happened in France happen in America. You let it happen in any town USA. And you're going to find out just how quick people will chuck and get rid of the Bill of Rights and the Constitution so that they can be free and so, so they can be safe. And it's going to happen. And the problem is this kind of stuff doesn't happen perceptibly. It happens imperceptibly. One link in the chain at a time. And what I think we're seeing right now, I think we're seeing a big dog and pony show. I think the Republicans are putting on a show so that they'll be able to say, look at us, we are the defenders of your freedom. They are not, and they have not been. A few anomalies have down through the, the last couple of years. There's a few that have, but for the most part, they are cowering, lying, progressive hacks. So I wouldn't trust the Republican Party. I think they're setting you up to think that. You said, did Donald Trump really say that? Did he not really say it? Did the reporter report it correctly or did he not report it correctly? I don't know. But what I think we're seeing are trial balloons, shark bumps, so to say. Will you accept Muslims being registered? If so, what about terrorist Christians, militia groups? What about Christians? Uh, what about moms and dads that want to homeschool their children? We are in a very dangerous situation. So what do we do? Well, I was talking with a friend of mine the other day. and Well, this was a while back, but I think he hit the nail on the head. Here's what we got to do. As in the days of Noah, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man. I think we have to be able to hold two distinct, important, valuable positions. Number one, number one, we need to be preachers of the truth, preachers of the righteous, righteousness, preachers of the gospel, preachers of reality. And we need to speak up and speak out and keep speaking up and keep speaking out. And we need to engage and be involved and do all that we can and try even to the very best that we can to get the best men, the best women in office. We need to be engaged all that we can of preaching and speaking and disseminating the truth. Just like Noah did. The storm is coming. On the other hand, we need to be building our ark. Food, silver, water, protection, medicine, getting out of debt, putting a little savings aside. We need to take care of ourselves. We need to be preaching the truth and building the ark. Because what I believe is happening right now is we are in a pincer movement. We are in a vice. America is in a vice. On one side, you have the existential threat of Islam. On the other side, you have the existential threat of the refashioning and reshaping of the world by the global powers that be. And they are going to use Islam 
to the best of their ability, to usher in and bring in the order that they want here in the United States of America, they would never be able to do it with the least amount of bloodshed, with the least amount of disruption, unless they had a boogeyman. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have served up their boogeyman. We have created it. Problem, reaction, solution. Better preach the truth. Better build your ark. Because the storm's coming.